All right, well, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and we'll take a week off from Hebrews today and look at Luke 1, uh, and we'll be in verses 46 to 56 this morning. And again, while certainly it is true that we don't know the day in which Christ was born, we do know that he was born and that it does have serious implications in terms of our salvation, uh, in terms of him taking on human flesh, uh, living a perfect life on our behalf, dying on the cross and being resurrected for our justification. And so I think it is good and proper for us to uh, focus on this great truth uh, that is so essential and necessary uh, for our salvation that we might properly understand these things. And certainly this is what we see in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56, where uh, Mary is extolling God and praising God because of the mercy that she has received and the mercy that ultimately will be realized through the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then returned to her home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, as we are thinking about and meditating upon, Lord, this great truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Lord, that it was in the fullness of time that you sent forth your Son to be born of a woman, to be under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Lord, we know that without the birth of Christ, without his incarnation, we would be dead in our sins. There would be no salvation for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you might help us to see and to understand, Lord, the significance of these events, Lord, of what you have done in human history by bringing uh, our own Lord and Savior into the world, his taking on human flesh, him being made like us in all things except without sin. Lord, and how it is that our salvation is so connected to this glorious and this wonderful truth. So, Lord, may we understand Lord, may we meditate and may we worship you today. Lord, just as Mary sets us such a wonderful example, Lord, may that be true of us as well. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, this uh, song here in Luke chapter 1 is one of the most uh, famous songs in all the New Testament. This is Mary's song of response after this re uh, revelation and realization of what it is that God has done within her. Right After she has been told by the angel uh, that she will be the mother of the Lord, uh, that she has conceived a child within her, and that this child will indeed be the Messiah. And after she has gone and visited her aging relative Elizabeth, and there has been this uh, rejoicing within uh, Elizabeth, within Mary, uh, with the child that was in Elizabeth's womb, now Mary gives this song, this song of praise to God, 
because of what he has done for her. And in this, she gives us an example of how it is that we ought to worship God, how it is that we ought to praise him for the great things that he has done. So let's begin here in Luke chapter 1. Notice in verses uh, 46 and onward, it says there, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Here, she begins by reflecting upon the mercy that God has shown for her. What what God has done for this person, for herself, in this great blessing that he has bestowed upon her. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Here, her praise is not some mere outward worship of God with her lips, such as was the case in Mark chapter 7 with the scribes and Pharisees. They honor God with their lips, but their heart was far from him. This is not the case with Mary, but rather she is worshiping and praising God with all of her being, right from the very depths of her heart with all that she has. And this is how it is with those who understand the mercy of God and what God has done for them. This is how we ought to worship the Lord with weightiness, right, with depth, with praise, with rejoicing, with all that we have in all of our being. This is not the worship of some uninterested, half-hearted worshiper of God. She's not going merely through outward motions here. And this isn't something that is boring, that is drudgery for her. She wants to praise God because of what God has done for her. And those who understand God's mercy will overflow in worship like this. This is similar to what happened with David. When he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, it said of him that he danced before the Lord with all of his might. Whenever he realized and as he considered what God had done for them, it caused him to rejoice before God with all of his might, right? With all of his being. And how is it that we who have received so much mercy from the Lord, so much goodness from God, so many blessings from him, we have been lifted up out of the miry pits. We have been made into children of God. We have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. All of the blessings of salvation belong to us. This is what God's mercy has done for you and me. And when we consider these things, when we meditate upon these truths, what we deserve because of our own sin and what we have received because of God's mercy, then worshiping God, singing his praises, offering to him a sacrifice of praise and an offering of thanksgiving, this should be our joy and our delight. And yet we often find... So many today, and perhaps even in our own hearts at times, that we find going to church, going to worship God, to be boring, to be a drudgery, Uh, the preaching is boring, the worship is boring, that many times in the churches you have to coax people to come. You have to appeal to their carnal desires. There must be some present, worldly, tangible benefit for them to come and to worship God. And why is it that people are prone to this? And it's because they do not understand the mercy of God. They do not know the mercy of God toward unworthy sinners. The reason that worship is so often boring to people is because God is boring to them and his mercy is not known by them. But those who have encountered God, as Mary has, 
who has an experience like she has, they understand God's mercy, and it leads them to worship just as Mary did. And we also see in this that her worship is not trite, it is not uninformed, but rather it is rich in its theology and the understanding that she expresses in the scripture and her understanding of the word of God, right? Her worship is focused not upon herself, but upon what God has done for her. And there is a knowledge of the promises of God found in the Old Testament and how these things have been accomplished in her own life. Notice there that she first recognizes that God is her Savior. Her rejoicing is specifically because of this point. God is my Savior. There is the recognition in her that she needs mercy. And why would Mary need mercy? Because she's a sinner. She is a sinner just like everyone else. She is no different than you and me as far as sin goes and as far as her nature goes. Just as it says in James chapter 5 concerning the prophets, that they were men with a nature like ours. So Mary was a woman, was a human who had a nature that is identical to ours. She was born dead in trespasses and sins. She is under the guilt of God. She was a child of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. And she needed a savior, a savior to lift her and to redeem her from these things. And so she is extolling God because this child that is growing in her womb, she knows and understands that this child will be her salvation. And this is what is truly amazing concerning these things. Right, That this child that she is carrying in her womb will one day carry her iniquities outside of the camp. The child that she bears will one day bear her sins in his body on the tree. And that will be the basis for her salvation, and not only hers, but for all of those who believe. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, verses 24 and 25 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And not only is that true of you and me, but it was true of Mary as well. He bore her sins in his body on the tree so that she might die to that sin and live to righteousness. And this is why she is praising God. She is rejoicing in God. This is where true joy is found. Not in money, right? Not in possessions, not in good health and long life, not in a life of of ease and comfort. True joy is found in knowing that God is our Savior, And that joy that we have through the knowledge of salvation will surpass the temporary circumstantial joys that are associated with this world, right? There are times when men rejoice, when they rejoice in this life, when they have favorable circumstances. And there is a sense where it is good and right and proper for us to be grateful to God, to acknowledge those benefits, and to rejoice when there are favorable circumstances for us when one takes a wife, when one has a child, right? When a promotion is secured, right? When a fortune is made, when we have good health, right? These are reasons to rejoice. And there's nothing wrong when us rejoicing in these things so long as we recognize that they are gifts 
that come from God. But if these things, if favorable circumstances are the foundation of our joy, then ultimately we will be disappointed because a wife or a child could easily die, right? A promotion could become a demotion, right? We could lose our job. A fortune can be lost just as easily as it was gained. And good health and long life will not last forever. Those things will ultimately go away. And if our joy is based upon these things, then what happens when those things are gone? The joy is gone, right? It is no longer there. We need a joy that can transcend both our present circumstances and transcend this present world. A joy that is fixed, that is sure, that is not subject to change. A joy that is not dependent upon our circumstances, right? A joy that transcends this present life, and that joy can only be found in the Lord, only in the knowledge that God is our Savior. And this is what Mary has come to know and understand. This is why her joy is complete. God is her Savior. The child being formed in her womb will be her Savior and Lord. He will die on the cross for her sins, and he will be raised for her justification. Now, it ought to be said here that, again, any idea of Mary as co-redeemer, as Mary as uh, sinless, as Mary as a mediator or the queen of heaven, right? These things are utterly ridiculous. They're nonsense, and they're actually blasphemous because there's only one Savior, and there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Any theology or tradition that places Mary next to Christ, right? And actually, in many of them, they place Mary above Christ, that he, she is actually more important than Jesus Christ in the salvation of the people. This is idolatry because we are accrediting to a human, to a person, things that only can be true of God. Mary's benefit and value to us is not as the queen of heaven. It is not as co-redeemer of God's people. It is not as a mediator between Christ and us. Her value to us is as a teacher and a guide, as an example for us to follow of a true worshiper of God. The same as the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, where he said, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. We should follow her example because the pattern she establishes is a pattern of true worship, true worshipers. And in that way, she is a benefit to us, but not as a co-redeemer of the people of God. Notice as well that she says, her praise of God is because he looked on the humble state of his servant. She recognizes that she is a nobody. She is from a humble background. There is no reason in her that God would bestow this unbelievable blessing and privilege upon her. She is rejoicing in the unmerited free mercy of God. Why would God do this for me? Why would God show me such favor? From now on, she says, all generations will call me blessed. She is in awe of what God has done for her. And even now, today, 2,000 years later, we are talking about Mary. All generations are calling her blessed. She will be remembered. She has been raised to a place of honor above all other women. All because God chose to give to her this blessing, this privilege that he gave to no one else. Right? Who is Mary? 
We remember her today not because of anything found in her, but simply because God's mercy given to her. God chose her of all of the women in the world at that time and of all of the women in human history. He chose her and her alone to be the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this was based upon his undeserved free mercy from God. Mary and her wildest dreams would have never entertained this thought that she would be the mother of our Lord. She was but a girl, and yet God bestowed this privilege upon her. And it's a privilege that is exclusive to Mary. No other woman ever was the mother of Christ, and no other woman will ever be the mother of Christ. Only it was given to Mary. Why Mary and no one else? Because of the mercy of God. All because of the mercy of God. And that same question can be asked of many people throughout the Bible. Why Noah? Why was Noah and his family spared, and none of the other families were spared? Because of the mercy of God. Why Abraham? Why was Abraham chosen of all of the men in the world to be the father of the nation through whom the Christ would come? Why did he receive the promise and no one else? Why David? Why was David exalted and lifted up above his brothers? Why was he chosen of all of the men of Judah to receive this kingdom, to, give, to receive this covenant by which God would set one of his descendants on his throne? And then why you and why me? Why have we become children of God? Why have we believed the gospel when there are so many people who have never even heard the gospel? Why have we believed when there are others who do hear and yet they continue in their unbelief? What is it that makes the difference? It is the mercy of God. It is always the mercy of God. He had regard <coughs> for us. He had compassion on us. He looked upon us in our humble and in our lowly estates. As it says in Romans 9.15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but upon God who has mercy. And as a result of his mercy, notice that she says, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. All that will be realized in Mary's state of blessedness, right? The birth of Christ, her own salvation, all of it is owing to the mighty power of God. How can a virgin conceive and bear a son? This is impossible. It's impossible with man, but it's not impossible with God. Only by the mighty power of God can a virgin conceive and bear a son, how can someone dead in trespasses and sins be made alive again? Only by the power of God. And this is why we must contend for the mighty power of God, that we serve God Almighty, the living God. Holy is his name, the God who is able to work wonders, to do and perform mighty miracles. Things that are impossible for any mortal man to do are possible with God. And is this not the same for you and me as well today. We are blessed. We are favored. God has looked upon us in a humble, sinful state. He who is mighty has done great things for us as well. And not because we are deserving, not because we earned it, not because we are special, but because God is a merciful God. 
merciful to those who are unworthy. Next notice, verses 50 to 53. In verses 50 to 53, not only is his mercy for Mary, but his mercy extends to all of those who fear God. Verse 50, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their thoughts of their hearts and brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humbled. And he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Here she moves and praises God, not just for the mercy shown to her, but also for the mercy shown to all of those who fear the Lord. From generation to generation, since sin entered into the world, God has shown mercy from generation to generation. This is a part of God's attributes of who he is. He manifests himself as a God who is rich in mercy. And in every generation, those who have feared the Lord have received his mercy. Now, this fear is a reverential awe of God, recognized by those who see his majesty, his power, the righteousness of the Lord. And it always leads to a cherishing and a taking serious of the word of God. This is why the book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is those who fear the Lord who listen to his word, who draw their wisdom not from their own vain thoughts and not from the philosophies of this world, but from the Lord above. Yet there are many who say that they have God's mercy, who say that they fear the Lord, but they do not keep his commandments. And a person who claims to fear the Lord, but does not obey God, does not keep his commandments, he's inconsistent. He's a contradiction, right? He's lying. He's not being true and honest. They do not fear God and they will not receive his mercy. Now in this, it is not our fear of God that earns us his mercy. It is God's mercy that makes us into God fearers. But she is distinguishing between hypocrites who claim to have the mercy of God and those who are sincere who truly do have the mercy of God. And the distinction is seen in that the hypocrite does not fear God, but those who are sincere, the true worshipers, they do fear the Lord. Those who receive mercy will have the fear of God. And God does indeed delight in being merciful to sinners. Those who fear the Lord will receive his mercy. And this mercy is evidenced by the redemption he brings through the power of his mighty arm. God performs mighty deeds for his people. He brings to them his salvation. Now notice here that she describes these mighty deeds in this way. First she says, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. The proud, the arrogant, the skeptic, the haughty scientist who says that there is no God, who explains everything according to his own naturalistic reason. The philosopher sitting in his ivory tower deriding the existence and power of God. Those who mock and ridicule the life of Christ, who call believers foolish and superstitious for believing in miracles and prayer and in resurrection and in the life to come. Right, The masters of the universe who think that they rule the world, who are the ones making policies and doing this and that and treating men as if they are their own pawns for them to move as they please. Well, what will the Lord ultimately do to these people? He's going to scatter them. He will scatter 
the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he will do so for the sake of his people. He will expose their self-proclaimed wisdom for all of the foolishness that it is, and then they will know that there is a God. She also says he has brought down the mighty from their thrones, the rulers of this world who boast of their greatness, who have such an inflated view of their own worth and their significance, right? They really think that they're something. They oftentimes believe themselves to be like gods walking among us mortal men. Well, God will show them what they really are, that they are nothing. They are dust of the earth. He will reduce them and bring them down from their mighty thrones. Right? We remember in Daniel chapter 4 what God did to Nebuchadnezzar, right? And what that man became when people would look out and see this wild beast of a person out in the middle of a field, not knowing and distinguishing, is that an animal over there? Is that a person? It's a person. And what person is that over there? Eating grass like a cow, his hair like an eagle's feathers, his uh, fingernails like the claws of of an eagle as well. And it's Nebuchadnezzar, king of kings and lord of lords. And now look at what he has become. This is what God is able to do, and God will do this to all of the mighty ones of the world. She says as well that he sends the rich away empty. The rich, they think that there's something as well. They've accomplished great things. Surely God will look upon them and show them extra mercy and extra favor because of their great wealth, because God needs their wealth. This is the way that they think. But what does God do to the rich? He sends them away with nothing, completely empty. What Mary is saying in this is that this child that she is bearing and bringing into the world, he's going to change everything. Everything is going to be turned upside down. The first will be last and the last will be first. The pride of man will be exposed, right? Pride is an insidious evil. It is a root of all kinds of evil. And from pride come many defilements in this world. And what does God think about the pride of man? He detests it. He opposes it. He hates the pride of man. But what does he think about the humble man? He loves that. He exalts him. He lifts him up. Right? This in contrast to the kingdoms of this world, where it is often the proud, the arrogant, the boastful. They're the ones who are exalted. They're the ones that get the positions of preeminence and prominence. And it is the humble, the outcasts, who are regarded as nothing, right? Who are looked down upon and who are treated as the scum of the earth. But in Christ's kingdom, it will not be like the kingdoms of this world. The world's kingdoms are built by the arrogant, the mighty, and the rich, the influential people. But Jesus' kingdom is the exact opposite, Jesus will not accommodate the mighty and the rulers and the rich. They will be scattered. They will be brought low. They will be sent away empty-handed. And this is not because they are mighty and not because they are rulers and not necessarily because they are rich. Mary is not saying that the mighty, the rulers, and the rich can never be saved. Certainly they can be saved, but they will not be saved because they're rulers. And they will not be saved because they're mighty. And they will not be saved because of their riches. If they're going to be saved, how must they be saved? Just like everyone else. They must come as humble sinners before the Lord with absolutely nothing 
to offer God. And this is why they are so often sent away empty-handed. Because there are very few people, even amongst the poor and humble, who will come to God like this. But especially amongst those who are powerful and rich. Jesus does not care who we are in this present world. He does not care what titles we possess. He does not care what rank we have. He does not care what honor and what riches we have on us. None of these things matter to him. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And this is because the rich, often, they buy their way into whatever they want. They are used to people accommodating them and pandering to them because of their wealth or their might or their power. Important people get into whatever club they want, right? They get whatever ticket they want and they think that heaven will be the same, that they'll just stroll right up and they'll buy their way in just as they've done here on this earth. But Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. A billionaire, a prince, a king, a movie star, a president, a senator, they can be saved, but they must be saved just like everyone else, as unworthy sinners with absolutely nothing to offer God. They must come to God just like the plumber comes to God, just like the commoner comes to God, just like the poor and the outcasts come to God. All must come the same way as humble sinners, spiritually bankrupt, beggars before the Lord. And this is the way that we must come as well. Mary rejoices in these truths, that this is the way that God is working in this present world. The proud, the mighty, the rulers, the rich, they will be sent away empty. He will bring them low. He will scatter them. But the humble, those who are sinners, God will exalt them. Right, The hungry who have nothing to offer God, they will be filled with all good things. This is the way in which God works. It is the wisdom of God, and we must believe it, and we must come to God in this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before the Lord. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not many of you, he says, are like these things. God chooses that which is foolish in the world in order to shame the wise. If we are believers, it's exactly because we are foolish that God has chosen us. Not because we have any significance, but because we are nothing. This is how God works, and we must rejoice in that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 54 says, He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now she goes back 
to the fathers and to the mercy that God has shown toward them. He's shown mercy toward her. He shows mercy toward all those who fear God. And he has shown mercy to the fathers and to Israel. She realizes and recognizes that this is the fulfillment of what God had started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God made the first proclamation, the first announcement that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent, and that this is the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham and to his descendants, that this seed from Abraham would arise, and that this child that is growing within her, that has been conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit, that this child is the seed of Abraham that has been promised and who is now coming into the world. Mary knows and understands her Old Testament. She knows the promises of God. She's waiting for those promises to be accomplished. And now she sees that what God is doing in her that how she fits into the accomplishment of these things. We understand that there is no contradiction between what God was doing with Abraham and what God was doing in Christ, but perfect harmony between these two. This is what Mary recognizes and understands. Christ is the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham. His work and the gospel going to the ends of the earth is a part of that plan. It is not a parenthesis to that plan. God has not put the plan for Abraham on hold and is now working in Christ. And then one day he will pick up and fulfill the plan that he started with Abraham. Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham and his offspring. God has kept his promises to Israel. This is what Mary is saying here. He's given help to Israel his servant, in remembrance of this mercy. And this is a reminder to us. God is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. Though the promise was made to Abraham 1,800 years before, though the covenant with Israel was made 1,400 years before, though the covenant with David was made 900 years before, God is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. When people see these promises and they see the delay in these things from a human perspective, from our vantage point, they believe that God is not going to fulfill his promises. They begin to doubt and to question the veracity of the word of God. But even though it may seem like a long time, is it a long time to God? No. God is not slow, but he does it according to his perfect wisdom. And so now we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And we've been waiting 2,000 years since the ascension of Christ for the realization and the return of Christ and the bringing in of this new heavens and new earth. But is God slow to fulfill his promises? No, he will surely do it just as he did with Abraham so he will do with all of his promises. All of them will ultimately be brought about. Also, we should see in this that in terms of Israel, the nation, in terms of their history, during the time in which Christ was born, this was one of the low points for them. They had little freedom. They were enslaved by foreign oppressors. They did not have a king. They were in a very horrible state. They were ruled by tyrants and despots during this time. We know this to be the case because of what happens in uh, Matthew chapter 2 
Whenever Christ is born, Herod goes and kills all the babies. This is how horrible and miserable the people were at this time. The rulers that they had were evil, wicked men, and they were foreigners who were ruling over them. This was not the height of David's kingdom or the height of Solomon's kingdom. When they had great blessings, right? When there was silver and gold abounding there in the nation of Israel, when their territory was expanded to the height, to the zenith of of their time, and they had peace and prosperity. But instead, it was a very miserable time for them, one in which it appeared that they had been completely forsaken and forgotten by the Lord. And yet, it is during this time that the greatest blessing, the greatest privilege that God ever bestowed on the nation of Israel is realized during this time. During this time in which outwardly they were in such a horrible condition. And this is the way that God often works in our own life as well. That his greatest blessings that we receive are often during the most darkest of days, the most difficult of time, is when God works in these unique ways in bringing these things about. Who would have thought that at a time in which Israel was reduced to this vassal state, when they had no freedom of their own, when they were divided up uh, as conquered people by these tyrants and despots, that it would be during this time that the Messiah would be born into the world. And yet this is exactly what the Lord has done. Here, she speaks of this help given to Israel, this remembrance of God's mercy. And it ought to cause us to then ask, right, if Jesus is the hope of Israel, right, then what does that have to do with you and me? Because none of us are Jews. We're all Gentile sinners. And yet if he is the Jewish Messiah, then what benefit, what value is this to us? But we understand and realize that Scripture teaches us that it is not the ethnic identity that makes one a child of Abraham. That we receive the promises of Abraham not by physical birth, but by spiritual birth, by rebirth, by transformation. And that not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, as it says in Romans chapter 9, verse 6. And the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And in Romans 2, 24 and 25, it says that no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This mercy to Abraham and his descendants does not exclude the Gentiles. It includes them in this promise. It includes you and me. And the book of Galatians and Romans teach us that if we believe the gospel, the same gospel that was preached beforehand to Abraham, then we too can know the mercy that was promised to him and to his descendants. So this song does not exclude us, but is about us as well. And like Mary, we too have received mercy from God. So like her, we have reason to rejoice and to worship God. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29 The sovereign God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, he has kept his promises to his people, through the child that came from Mary's womb. And that child came 
so that we might know the mercy of God. And he has come to us so that we might know the forgiveness of sins. This whole song is about a God who is rich in mercy. But this mercy will not be known by all people. He's, she's already said the proud will be scattered. The rulers of this world will be brought low. The rich will be sent away empty-handed. But those who are humble, those who are hungry, those who are empty sinners in need of salvation, to them he will freely give all things. He will give all good things to them. He will shower them with his mercy and he will lift them up out of the state of their sin and place them in heavenly places. And it is my hope and prayer that we would know this mercy, that this mercy would be realized in our own life and in the lives of our families, and that like Mary, we would worship God accordingly because of the mercy he's given to undeserved, unworthy sinners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, we, we thank you, Father, that you are a God who is rich in mercy. That, Lord, there was nothing within any of us that prompted you to send your own Son into the world that we might live through him. But rather, everything we have received, Lord, has issued forth from your free mercy. Lord, your grace given freely to sinners. Lord, based upon your own choice. Lord, we thank you that you have remembered your covenant. Lord, we thank you that you made that covenant to start out. Lord, knowing that you were not obligated or compelled to do so, there was nothing that forced you to enter into this covenant with Abraham and the fathers, yet you did so freely. And then once you made that covenant, Lord, you fulfilled it. You were faithful to it. Lord, you brought it about in due time. And Lord, we are grateful that all of these promises have found their yes and their amen in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're grateful as well that you have not excluded the Gentiles, but that you have included us into the body of Christ and have grafted the wild olive branches into the living root. And that through faith in Christ, we have been made into a holy temple alongside of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets and Lord, all of the holy men of old. So Father, we thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for this great salvation. Lord, what greater joy can we have than knowing that our sins have been forgiven, that we are reconciled to you, that the wrath of God no longer abides upon us. Lord, we pray that you might teach us, Lord, these things. Lord, we know that we are so often prone to determine our condition based upon our circumstances, Lord, based upon whether or not <clears throat> things are favorable and whether things go the way that we want them. And yet, Lord, we need to be taught, Lord, to base our, our joy and our hope not on these things, but upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that you have given to us through him. So, Lord, may we hope in him, and Lord, may we rejoice with a joy that is unspeakable, Lord, today and all of our days. Lord, considering all that you have done for us. So, Father, we pray that you bless your people. 
Let you grow and give us a greater knowledge of our salvation in that, Lord, just as Mary was overjoyed and abounded in worship to you, so, Lord, may we also do the same. And it is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen.